Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dane Brugler and our producer Kent Garrison. Uh, just a couple quick notes before we get going and put the college football season to bed here. Uh, if you don't have a subscription yet to The Athletic, you can hop on theathletic.com slash prospects to pros. Uh, get 40% off. That gets you access to all of our podcast network, including those behind the paywall, and then everything on our site. Uh, everything. Dane's draft coverage, all the NFL coverage, college football, whatever you want. Uh, so make sure you head over there. Uh, and then if you missed our episode at the end of last week, we hit on uh, Dane's uh, latest big board for the 2020 NFL draft, and you can go back and check that out as well. So welcome in, Dane, here. And uh, LSU, your national champs, a little less dramatic in the fourth quarter than maybe <laughs> we would have liked uh, as viewers. But, uh, Dane, your thoughts on that game against Clemson? Yeah, and LSU uh, coming out as national champs, I think that's what we expected. Um, Clemson jumped out to that quick lead, and we thought, okay, this is going to be a close game. But, I, I mean, I think all along the thinking going in was until Joe Burrow has a bad game, you know, like it's just I'm not going to bet against him. And I think that's what most people thought. And, I mean, that's how it, how it turned out. And give Brent Venables credit because – like LSU, they like to run a lot of five-man protections, and so it's a it's a lot of empties. Um, you know, it, it, Joe Burrow with his mind and his feet is be able to get away with that all year because he understands where the pressures are coming from. Uh, he knows where his outlets are. He can you know pre-snap identify the voids uh, that are going to develop uh, downfield. But against Clemson, they did a really nice job of bringing pressure from different players from different angles. And the LSU offensive line, which has been very good all year, had a really tough time picking that up. And Joe Burrow, uh, especially when they were uh, put down or close to their own end zone, had a had a tough time adjusting at first. But they made the necessary adjustments. And I mean, Joe Burrow has just been too good. He, he used his legs a little bit more than I think we've seen him use all year. Um, just you know, with the, if the pressure is coming outside, uh, using those inside lanes, uh, and he's just. I don't think people give him credit for how good of an athlete he is. Uh, I mean, this guy was all state in basketball. We saw him at the one run when, you know, he was able to reach the sideline, reach the first down marker with Simmons in pursuit, um, which, by the way, Simmons, how how, how big time is he? Man. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he, he's fun, huh? I mean, if you, if you tell me, like, we're going to hear a lot about fit and creativity and where do you play him. And look, if your defensive coordinator – has any doubts about where you're going to play this guy, you need to do defensive coordinator because th- this guy, I don't care where you linebacker, uh, safety, uh, put a, put his hand on the ground. Let him, let him rush, uh, you know, whatever you, whatever he could do it all. It's almost hard to watch film of him. It takes a little longer because you have to find him on every play. Like you, he's <laughs> right. never in the same spot. Like you said, they used to, you know, they play him outside. They'll play him in the slot. There were a couple times, uh, you know, yesterday in that game where he'd show even show like a gap pressure and then he'd fly back and play almost like a Tampa two coverage in the middle of the field. Like he's just everywhere on that defense. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's crazy because I, I think as we talk about him and have talked about him all year, you, you know, it's hard to really project him out. But like you said, if you can't figure out how to use him, that's more. That's more on you at this point than it is yeah. on him. Like you can throw him out there anyway. I don't think you. We don't have to do this discussion where he, oh, is he safe? Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? I don't think we need to do that with him. That's sort of a, an unnecessary talking point, really, because it's just 
get him on the field, figure out who you want him to match up against or where you want to use him and, and go from there. Yep, 100% agree. And I think that's why ultimately he's going to end up being a top 10 pick is uh, he's just he's the modern he's the ideal modern day uh, defensive player. Um, you know, if you want to call him a linebacker, that's perfectly fine. If you want to call him a safety, that works, too, uh, because he can do all of those things and do it very well. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that he is going to be a player that's going to come off the board pretty quickly. And he showed why uh, last night with that versatility, with his play speed. Um, I, I know uh, I was talking to um, someone close to the senior bowl and told me they're, they're pushing hard for Isaiah Simmons to maybe be a late ad um, as being a, a redshirt junior and a graduate. But I'd be pretty surprised if either Burrow or Simmons uh, did end up playing in the senior bowl just because they don't have to. Um, and they were the top two draft eligible prospects um, going into the game. Yesterday, I posted, a, I tried to rank the top 30 draft eligible guys in that game last night and one and two burrow and simmons and i thought they lived up to it now the third guy on that list necessarily didn't live up to that uh christian fulton and two really good corners aj terrell for clemson christian fulton for lsu they struggled and i I think more than anything, it was a product of really good quarterback play and really, really good wide receiver play more than anything else. But they also had, uh, you know, showed a few of their their weaknesses as, as players. Um, so I'm eager to get the all 22 to figure out, you know, is that something that ultimately is going to drop them a little bit? Uh, you know, you don't want to overreact to one game, but on that type of stage against big time talent and, you know, that's that's all you're going to face at the NFL level is big time talent, you know, wide receivers and, and quarterbacks. So um, I, I thought it was, you know, a little disappointing from them, from them, but, you know, we'll have to see when, I, I guess, you know, when we study the game, go back and see if it's really going to ultimately affect how they go. I came out with my two round mock today both Fulton and Terrell uh, are represented in that game or in that mock drafts. Um, so uh, any other uh, storylines from that game that really stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we need to do too much more on Burrow. I think we're pretty set at yeah. that point. I mean, it didn't even feel like, like you said, Clemson started that game pretty well defensively uh, and it kind of had them off balance. They had them pinned back deep and then you get to halftime and it's, the LSU's got 28 points on the board and Burrow finishes with 463 passing and six total touchdowns. And I mean, it just, that was all season long. That was about as good an offensive team as we've seen in college football. And I mean, maybe ever, I mean, that is as good a team as you're going to see offensively. And it wasn't just Burrow. I mean, we talked, you talked about um, the offensive line struggling a little bit early last night but that's been a good offensive line this year obviously Jefferson and Chase and Moss and Marshall I mean they're just loaded at receiver Edwards Hilaire is a guy that I think a lot of people are going to really like headed into this draft so um yeah I mean I I was curious you kind of hit on it the the cornerbacks and Grant Delpit too just Mm -hmm. if you had any reaction to sort of how he played um you know again it's a tough Clemson throws some things at you too offensively. You know, there was the uh, a couple of plays there where maybe he was a little slow, uh, slower to react. But overall, he had him number five among the the draft prospects there. And um, it's it's sort of the same discussion probably coming out of last night. Like here, taking him to be 
uh, a playmaker for you, right? I mean, you're taking him to go find the ball and and maybe pop it loose every once in a while, pick off a couple passes. I mean, he's just that guy that you, you kind of might be able to change a game for you here or there. Right, and there were a few times last night where his angles were yeah. off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a tackler, he was sloppy. Um, you know, like and the Higgins more touchdown, than, right? Was hit, like, right? He got caught yeah, in the that, middle of the field there. Exactly, and he couldn't. And Higgins is not a burner. I mean, he's probably uh, you know somewhere in the four fives, and Delpit really couldn't do anything about it in terms of you know closing that gap and um, doing anything in pursuit. So. Yeah, I mean, if you're taking a safety in the first round, you know, you're, you're expecting a playmaker, kind of like you said. And I, and that's why I think that Grant Delpit is in the bottom or in the second half of the first round. He's not in the top half. Like, I don't think he's going to be a top 16 pick. Um, I actually, in my mock draft, I had him going number 17 to the Cowboys. And I think that's really kind of that first area you can realistically see him coming off the board. Um, but it wouldn't be a surprise at all if he's available in the 20s. Because uh, he's a good player. I mean, this is a league that let Derwin James fall to pick, what, 17? I mean, I think Derwin James is a lot better than Grant Delpit is. And so, you know, I I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Grant Delpit's available in the late 20s. Uh, just because he, he does have some flaws in his game. And, you know, it's funny. I Yeah, he's played well the last few weeks. And, you know, a lot of people will point to his ankle issue, why he was missing tackles. I went back and I'm looking at some of these missed tackles that he had. And I don't, I don't understand how you can blame the ankle. I mean, he's, he's right there. He squares up his guy. He just, he he doesn't have the finishing power. He doesn't have the tackling technique. I, I think the want to is there. And that's a good sign because you can fix tackling technique. You know, you can, you can coach that up and tweak it. It doesn't necessarily mean he's definitely going to get better, but you, that is a coachable, fixable thing where the want to not necessarily being something you can improve or has a good chance of improving. So with Grant Delpit, I I feel really good that he's going to be a first round pick. I just think it's going to be in the later half of round one. Um, You mentioned Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, He was another guy who uh, he's been a riser throughout the season. Um, It just, I don't, between, I think if you take Brian Westbrook and you take Mark Ingram and meld them together, I think you get Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I, I think that's kind of who he is. Uh, he can make guys miss in space. He's no one's going to get lower than him at the contact point. I mean, he's so good at lowering his pads, uh, bouncing off contact. His balance is outstanding. He's tough. He's powerful. Uh, and not to mention what he can do out of the backfield as a receiver. Um, not doesn't have a, not a huge target, so you better hit him in his numbers. But uh, you know he can do something after the catch, and he's shown that all year. So Edward Solaire, uh, he did sneak into my two round mock draft, um, and, and so that's uh, he is. I don't think he's in that top tier with Dobbins and Taylor and Etienne and Swift, but I think he might kick off that second tier of running backs in this class, especially with uh, Hubbard going back to Oklahoma State for his uh, uh, for his redshirt junior year next year. Yeah, and we can get into that a little bit too, but a little surprising there. Najee Harris went back too, so the running back class got thinned out a little bit since uh, last time we talked. But, I mean, yeah, Edwards Hilaire had another, I mean, 110 yards on the ground. He had uh, five catches for 54 yards, and that's like you were just saying. I mean, he's a guy that you can put out there in pretty pretty much uh, any circumstance and expect him to get you some yards. He is tough. He's always, I mean... He's, we've talked about those guys who always seem like they're falling forward and getting extra yards. He's probably in that category as a guy. You're not, you're not driving him back and standing him up. Like he's always getting you 
that extra yard or two just because he's leaning forward. He's tough to bring down. I I really like – I mean, this is – I like a lot of guys in this running back class, but I, I really have come to appreciate his game, uh, especially over the past few weeks, just watching that offense. And there's – I mean, there's obviously some benefit to being a running back in an offense where there's four or five wide receivers that uh, – could be number one guys at other schools and, uh, you know, having the Heisman winner and number one pick slinging passes around. But uh, I think certainly Edwards Hilaire is worth the the praise he's gotten of late. Uh, what do you think of Travis Etienne in that game? He, I mean, he showed what he, what he does best and that's the acceleration. Uh, I mean, he doesn't need a few steps to get going. His first step, boom, he's, it's like shot out of a cannon and I really like how decisive he was. I mean, he didn't waste any time dancing. Uh, as soon as he saw a little crease, uh, he hit it. And uh, once he gets going, I, he's not a powerful runner, but because his momentum is going forward so quickly that he does continue to move forward. Uh, and it's it's something that really helps him break tackles and pick up a few yards after initial contact. So I still have my questions about him as uh, being a consistent inside runner, um, just I mentioned how decisive he is when he sees it. Sometimes he's too decisive and you know attacks the line of scrimmage before uh, the blocks are developed, and you know he's running into his own into his own blockers, things like that. Um, and then I'd also have questions about him just as a consistent pass catcher. But I think last night showed kind of what he does best and why you know he's viewed as where I think he's going to be a top fifty pick is because of what he does best, and that's. As soon as he gets the ball in his hands, he can go. And that's something that we saw against Ohio State in the screen game. That's something we saw last night whenever he had an opportunity. And so while he is, I, th- I think he's more athlete than every down running back, that's okay because a-, a team can use that and use that at a high level. Yeah, I like the fit you have for him too. Uh, to go back to your mock draft, you've got him at 40 to Arizona, which you know, mm. the Cardinals kind of struck gold with the Kenyon Drake pickup. Uh, but we're right. not sure what's happening with David Johnson. That's obviously an offense with uh, Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury there that's going to spread the field and create some some holes up front. So I, I like that fit. And again, that would be one of those spots, assuming Kenyon Drake can carry over what he's done, where you're probably not asking Travis Etienne to be a you know, 20, 25 touch guy. He's someone that you can come in and, and give you kind of those home run plays every once in a while. Right. And okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, take the quarterbacks <laughs> love when you out do of that. it. Yeah. I know. You love this. Uh, take the quarterbacks out of it. Yeah. Who was the best player? Uh, who, who, if you if you were starting a team and you could have any player from last night's game, not including the quarterbacks, uh, who are you going with? I mean, who, who was the best player? Who is the best player from those two rosters, not including either the quarterbacks? Uh, Hmm, that's that is a good one. Uh, I mean, there's so I, many. I mean, there's so many options here. It's hard for me to not pick Simmons. Mm-hmm. I might, if we're, if we're counting everyone and not just specifically draft eligible guys, Jamar Chase maybe is my answer. Yeah. I mean, I just I think no. I, I yeah. Is that is that right? <laughs> I get that, it right? That's, that's exactly what I was kind of. I, I do think it would be between Chase and Simmons. I th- I think we're on the same uh, you know mindset there. Chase is. I mean, he plays the position like he's a, a 10-year pro already, you know, just that uh, some of the subtleties that he has at the top of his routes, um, you know, he's got speed, he's got toughness. Um, I mean, he should have had uh, another touchdown, uh, had that drop, that burrow just plays perfectly. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it would be hard to pass on Simmons, 
But I think my answer would be Chase as well, just because of everything he offers. And again, only a true sophomore. So, you know, we'll be talking about him at length a year from now as probably wide receiver one in the 2021 class. But um, yeah, he's a pretty special guy. Are we overlooking Derek Stingley? And yeah, exactly. I think that's, (laughs) he's definitely worthy of that conversation. Um, He's one of the reasons, you know, he, we saw a lot of Stingley this year is because teams stayed away from Fulton on the other side. And then Clemson did the opposite. They stayed away from Stingley and with, and it's understandable why he was, he, he was locked down all night and, you know, he did a terrific job. So, yeah, I, I mean, I said it, you know, a couple months ago, but, you know, Stingley, if he was, if he was eligible, he would be a starting corner in the NFL right now. I, I have no question about that. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think he, he would put up a, a good fight to be uh, Simmons, Chase, Stingley. I, I mean, I think there's a few other names you could possibly talk about, but I, I think you're I think you're spot on. Those are probably the top three. It's kind of crazy. I mean, Joe Burrow's uh, we're pretty certain going number one now. Jamar Chase mm. uh, probably very good chance to be wide receiver one at least headed into the conversation next year, and then Stingley, you know, a long way from when he'll be draft eligible in two years. But, I mean, we could be talking about a pretty good run of top five, top ten picks coming out of LSU over the next two, three years here. Yeah, yeah, no question. And, you know, we're – and that doesn't even include the the guys that are still going to round out the first round. Like, I, you know, Christian Fulton's still, yeah. you know, a good chance to go in the first. Grant Delpit, I think Chason, um, you know, there were times where – uh, his speed was just too much for uh, that Clemson offensive line. And, uh, you know, his ability not only to bend the edge, but he can retrace, he can chase down his hustle. Uh, those those types of things that affect the play uh, on, on any given snap. So I think Chason's right there in that first round mix. So, yeah, it's there's a lot of NFL talent on that field last night. And a lot of them we'll see drafted upcoming in April, but – a lot of them would be, uh, you know, down the road as well. Yeah, and uh, said LSU national champs. Uh, maybe not quite the game in the fourth quarter we thought we were going to get. I, I still, uh, man, LSU Ohio State would have been fascinating too, just to see how that would have played out. Um, mm-hmm. Just going back as we sort of wrap college football season here. Uh, Do you have a, a bowl game or two that uh, was your favorite this year? <laughs> Um, you know, I think that the game last night was obviously fun. Um, just because it's just so easy to appreciate, uh, talent that were on both sides of the ball. And I think it's really easy to appreciate good quarterback play. And for two and a half, three quarters, Trevor Lawrence was, was pretty good. Um, now he kind of, he tailed off in the second half. Um, I don't know if part of that was just, he was pressing too much. Um, you know, I don't. It's not used. Clemson's not used to playing from behind in the second half, and so I don't know if maybe that got to him a little bit, and he you know tried to put too much on his shoulders, and it just it it, it didn't work out. So, but in the first half, uh, we talked two really good two really good quarterbacks, and then all the talent around him. So, I mean, it's hard not to go with the game we saw last night, and how just because it's from a talent standpoint, it's just really good versus really good. Um, and one other name I did want to mention. Patrick Queen, the linebacker who was the defensive player of the game uh, for LSU, he uh, he's a guy that's really been ascending all year. Um, he had had a, did a nice job when he kind of really stepped into that that role against Texas. Uh, made a few really nice plays against Alabama, um, and he did enough over the second half of that year to 
make my top 100. Uh, I think he was linebacker five on on my board. And so if he comes out, he's only a junior. So if he decides to come out, he could, uh, you know, add a little bit of linebacker depth on that in the day two range. Let's let's wrap the national championship conversation on Lawrence. And obviously we're focused on the 2020 draft. He'll be the one of the big names in the 2021 draft. And you mentioned it, maybe maybe pressing a little when they got behind. That's his first loss as a college quarterback. <laughs> you would assume, assume they're not going to lose a whole lot next year. But uh, obviously as we're looking ahead, he's going to land on a team that's probably not very good headed in the NFL. So is, I guess is that – do you have to take that into account at all? I mean, like, is there any concern for you that that what we saw in the second half last night when he was struggling is, you know, if he lands on a team that is rebuilding, that, uh, you know, you're going to get a guy who's maybe does try to do too much and make some mistakes, or is this just, you know, is just the losing to a maybe a better team on on this particular night, losing to the best team in football? Yeah, and I think it's. I think it's all that is the fact that he's only a sophomore. Um, you know, it's it, there. I think there's so many variables that go into it, but I mean, it's good that he has, I mean, it's obviously no Clemson fan should be happy with the result, but it's good that he f- has these moments of adversity because, you know, you want him to see him, you know, push through it and power through it and be better because of it. So, you know, when it, what Trevor Lawrence has done his first two years has been great, but let's be honest, he's going to be drafted based on what he does as a junior. And, uh, it, it's going to be interesting because he he will have talent around him, no question. Uh, Mari Rogers and Justin Ross are coming back. They've got other wide receivers ready to step up. Uh, but no more Travis Etienne. And they lose four of the five offensive linemen. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I think, yeah, four of the five are seniors. So they get left tackle back, uh, Jackson Carmen. But the offensive line is going to be a little depleted. Um, and so they're going to have a lot of bodies to fill. That could mean more pressure on uh, Trevor Lawrence to maybe use his legs. And so eager to see going into next year, um, you know, how that works out. I, I, someone did ask me during the game and it's just a really interesting question. It's, it's, it's moot. Cause we'll never, we'll never know, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, but if, if Lawrence were eligible for this draft, who would be the number one pick? Is it Burrow? Who's going to be a 24 year old rookie or has, is more, uh, more developed at this point in, in terms of uh, you know playing the position mentally, uh, or do you go with the more physical talent, the guy who's uh, you know bigger, more athletic, um, and you you're banking on him just becoming a more polished player, uh, who just has more tools to work with, um, but he's also much just much younger. And so, if, if he were in this draft, I and mean, we know NFL teams, they love upside, you know, they love the physical traits, and so. I don't think it'd be a slam dunk where every team would definitely take Burrow or every team would definitely take take Lawrence. I think it'd be pretty split. I think some teams would prefer the more polished player that you you have a better idea of what you're getting with the Joe Burrow. But there are absolutely some teams that would bet on the upside of Trevor Lawrence and go that route. I mean, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right. I think it, it's it's interesting just because we've been talking about Lawrence, like just sort of anointing him as – the number one pick whenever you know when he's ready eligible to come out it's sort of interesting to put him in that light and and sort of compare him especially off that game when you know burrow just lit it up and and lawrence struggled like we said and obviously he faced some adversity in that ohio state game and played incredibly in the second half and and brought him back which is why they were playing in the championship game anyway but yeah i mean i just think uh man that's tough that it, um, it, the bengals maybe 
better off not having to make that decision and just uh, <laughs> right. going with Joe Burrow. But I mean, I don't. Again, I don't think you just have to just have to give all the credit in the world to Joe Burrow for what he's done this year. As we've talked about before, like this is just. It's not that he was came from nowhere and was totally off the map and a guy we'd never heard of before, and but the the leap that he took this year is just incredible and it, even more so when you compare it to Lawrence who arrived in Cal, you know arrived last year and you were like all right well hasn't played a game yet but we're probably looking at the number one pick in three years uh and Joe Burrow I, wasn't in that uh wasn't in that same range so um great finish to the year for him and for LSU and uh, to sort of spin into the mock draft which I mentioned is up at theathletic.com you've got him uh, locked into that number one pick and uh, teaming up with uh, one of his buddies from LSU with the Bengals pick a top round two, Justin Jefferson. I mentioned that's a two round mock that's up not only athletic.com, but uh, Burrow, Chase Young, number two to Washington. And I mean, how confident are you that that's the top two right now? Like, what's your percentage on, on Washington, I guess? I mean, I think we're pretty right. close to 100 on Cincinnati. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and Washington, I think, will be interesting because what happens when a team offers them a pretty substantial package of draft picks to go up and get Tua? You know, you've got Chase Young staring you right in the face. Uh, but, you know, what's what's the asking price? Everybody's got an asking price. You know, it, it, what what's the price that's going to force the Redskins to trade away from Chase Young and uh, let someone, you know, go get Tua? Now, if you're the Lions... You're feeling great because if that happens, okay, you got Chase Young. Um, if that doesn't happen, well, then there's still a good chance at number three that you're the trade-up spot. So if I'm the Detroit Lions, I'm feeling uh, really good about my options. Um, and even if it goes chalk with Burrow and uh, Young at two and we don't get that trade-up that we want, that substantial offer – I still feel good if I'm the Lions because then, you know, Okuda or one of these offensive linemen or Simmons. I, I mean, I, I have really good options there. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that it's going to be interesting with the with the first two. You know, like you said, feel good about one. Two, it should be Chase Young. I don't – it's hard to put a percentage on it right now just because the Redskins are the Redskins. And, uh, you know, you would think that they would take take Chase Young, but you just never know. I mean, I, I'd probably put it at 75%. Uh, so still, I, I feel really good about that happening. Um, that's that's all you hear from people around the league. Uh, you rarely hear people say anything otherwise. But it, could the Redskins be on the opposite end of what they did in 2012 with RG3 when they packaged all those picks to go up and get them? Uh, could they be on the opposite end this year if a team is just so convinced that Tua is healthy and he can be the guy? Uh you know, just all what what is going to be too much to to pass up for a Chase Young? I, I mean, I that is going to be a tough question they could wrestle with if they get that offer. Is there any? Uh, let's just hypothetically say that happens. Say Miami goes up to two and gets mm. uh, they want Tua. They go up and get Tua. Washington falls back to five. Is there any universe where we see a team then do that at number three to make sure they get Justin Herbert or whoever is quarterback three? Like, is there any possibility we see a huge run on quarterbacks right out of the gate? Because there's, we, you know, we've hit on the half dozen or ten, you know, eight teams that maybe could need that franchise guy. And if Burrow goes one, Miami goes up and gets two right away, and then your Carolina or your um, you know, whatever those handful of other teams that we've hit on Las Vegas, uh, Indianapolis, like 
Is there a team in there that maybe says, all right, well, we can't wait 10 picks. We got to go get someone. And we see that third quarterback go in the top five. Well, history tells us that uh, in order to get your quarterback, you have to trade up. Um, The last four years, we've had 10 quarterbacks drafted in the top 10 picks. Seven of them were acquired with a trade up. Two of them were the number one overall pick, so they didn't have to trade up. So, and then the other one was Daniel Jones. So the Giants, you know, they don't, they never trade. So they sit there and Daniel Jones was there for him and they drafted him. So, you know, history tells us that there's a good chance that in order to get your quarterback, you have to trade up and get him. And so, yeah, it could be interesting, especially, you know, with the Chargers sitting there at six, uh, the Panthers at seven, you know, if a team like the Colts or the Raiders or uh, the Bucks or one of these other teams that are kind of in, you know, no man's land when it comes to the quarterback position. If they are sold on, say, Justin Herbert and they're just totally out on Love or Eason or Fromm or some of the other options, then you, yeah, you can't rule that out. And, it, you know, it's a, it, the Lions, it's, it's really up to them. I mean, I don't think that, because if you're the Lions uh, at number three, you still have to feel good about, okay, say it's, say it's the Panthers. They want to get ahead of the Chargers. Um, you still feel pretty good about who you can get at the seventh pick. Uh, you know, whether Simmons falls to you or Derek Brown's there or could a Kuda fall or one of these offensive linemen, you still feel really good about who you, who could be there for you. Plus you pick up a one next year and a two this year, or whatever it ends up being. So yeah, I mean, you can't rule that out. And that, that's what makes the draft fascinating is because we're going to have, uh, we could see some movement at the top with, you know, as they jockey for uh, positioning for these quarterbacks um, and it's going to start next week in Mobile at the Senior Bowl um, with with Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, see what they can do, and then of course with the medicals with Tua. I mean, this could all be uh, you know a moot conversation if Tua if if the medicals just don't look great, and you know there's a lot of concern about the long term, and you know it's it might be one of those things where Miami sits at five and says, well, if Tua falls to us, all right, you know what, we'll roll the dice, but you know we're not going to mortgage the future and the rest of our first round picks. To, to go up and get them. So, yeah, it's a fascinating conversation and one that I'm sure we'll be talking about between now and, and April 23rd. So, um, you know, in this mock, I did have six quarterbacks coming off the board um, with Burrow at one. Um, I had did have Tua at, at the fifth uh, spot and then Herbert after him and then Jordan Love also in the first round. Um, and then, the, what, two quarterbacks in the second round with Fromm and Eason. So I don't we're not necessarily the the teams, but just where these quarterbacks came off the board in the first two rounds. Do you did they surprise you at all? Do you do you think differently? Do you think we're going to see quarterback? You know, maybe does Eason get into the first round? Does Fromm go later, earlier? Just in terms of not the placement of where they, they came off the board. Do you think that's kind of what you were thinking, or do you think differently on those? Uh. <sighs> I have a hard time pushing either of those round two guys into the first round, Fromm and Eason. Um, so, I mean, I think uh, the only thing that I was, I guess I may be a little, un- little surprised at was just the gap between where Herbert went at six and where Love went at 23. And I know you're not making trades, and so a lot of this is just finding fits. And so there's naturally going to be some some gaps that maybe wouldn't exist otherwise. But that's sort of... That's the intriguing thing to me too. Obviously, where Tua lands is is going to be a big talking point here. But then, 
sort of how that three four spot breaks down and how early and that's you know kind of why I mentioned that the the run early on quarterbacks and if another team could trade up like what's the how much are teams going to panic once you get past Burrow and then possibly Tua to go get Justin Herbert or go get Jordan Love because as we've talked about for four months now neither of those guys are and there's you know there's never any sure things in the draft but neither of those guys feel like sure things as guys who are going to be starting in 2020 or 2021 and be really good quarterbacks I mean there's some things to be concerned about on on tape for both those guys so um, I, I think that's sort of the interesting thing for me is just how far do these guys get because you have to take them to get love to 23 obviously without any trades you pushed them through the Raiders and the Colts and the Bucks and you know all these teams that we've talked about maybe needing a quarterback um and so is that uh like do you think Jordan Love is like is he a guy that could fall into the top of round two or to a team that wants to trade up and get that extra year on the contract in round one or is he someone like when you were considering where he was were you thinking you hesitated on maybe pushing him higher or dropping him lower like how how do you view him at this point yeah i mean i think you you hit it with the fifth round or the fifth uh year option um that's ultimately if i had a guess right now where jordan love is going to end up i'm gonna say late first round with a team maybe look at the colts they're picking at 34 um they own the redskins second round pick so really early in the second round package that pick and another pick to go up into the late first, take Jordan Love, get the fifth year option. Um, Jacoby Brissett's your starter for another year. Jordan Love takes over in 2021. Okay. Col- Colts have a, you know, a quarterback plan moving forward. You know, we'll see if it works out, but that would be my guess. Something like that happening. Um, you know, it's still early. I mean, we, we still have to find out what happens next week at the senior bowl, good or bad. I mean, Jordan Love could look great or he could tank. Uh, you just, you just never know. Uh, how these things are going to work out and how the you know different teams are going to feel about these quarterbacks. So um, and that's that's where we see the most volatility with, with terms of players throughout the draft process is the quarterbacks because yeah we have a full season multiple seasons of tape that we can watch them but uh, you know once you get it to sit them down and talk to them learn more about them understand where they are mentally um, you know just how much they understand about protections and coverages and things like that. It's just really hard to know. And they already have a good idea because, you know, scouts have been through. They've talked to these guys. But once the coaches get involved, um, some more decision makers get involved, that's where things really pick up. And so that's why we see the most volatility with these with these quarterbacks more so uh, than any other position. So if I had to make a prediction right now, I'd say late first round with a team looking to get that fifth year option. The Colts make sense. Um, you know, could we see a team like, you know, the Bucks or another one of these teams that in my mock, I, I went with the Patriots at 23, just because, you know, it's, it, we saw Tom Brady not look like, you know, the Tom Brady we're used to seeing. And, you know, right. that could be an area they look to address. So I, I think that is definitely a possibility as well. And then obviously you got, you mentioned the Colts at 34, but then the Chargers are 37, Panthers 38, Miami 39. So there's a bunch of teams mm-hmm. right in that top around two that, like you said, could make the move up and and try to tack on that fifth year, and that's I mean that's one of the probably the big selling points on if someone's considering Jake Fromm or Jacob Eason a first round quarterback. That's that's probably one of the big arguments in favor of it is that you could get those guys at thirty, thirty one, thirty two, uh, either on a team that's already a Super Bowl contender as as sort of insurance, or you, you get them, you know, someone coming up and, and grabbing them. Um, 
I don't want to give away the whole mock draft. You mentioned we have Okuda at three, uh, Jedrick, Jed, Jedrick Wills at four, man. Uh, <laughs> Tua at five. Um, was there anyone that was, I guess, the, you were surprised yourself that you got into round one or anyone that you think people are going to sort of raise an eyebrow at being in this first round of your mock? I do think there were a few names that might surprise um, some people. Um, uh, I had uh, Zach Bond, the linebacker from Wisconsin, get in there. Uh, love Zach Bond, everything that he offers. I mean, he can do everything you want out of the linebacker position. Um, you know, he can cover, uh, he can blitz, uh, he can stop the run. And I think he's, he, he, he'd be really, I gave him the Baltimore at 28. And I think he'd be really interesting in that scheme because you can move him around. You can play him on the edge. You can play him as an inside linebacker. Um, you, you could just do different things uh, and he could play all three downs. Um, so I, I think that would be an interesting fit. Uh, Isaiah Wilson, the tackle from Georgia. I mean, everybody talks about Andrew Thomas. There's a good chance Isaiah Wilson gets in that first round. Um, and I had him uh, sneaking in there. Um, then Jeff Gladney, the TCU corner, who he's just a junkyard dog uh, at, at the corner position. He's fast. He's physical. Um, really eager to see him this week, uh, next week at the Senior Bowl. And those one-on-ones to see how he does against, you know, Brandon Ayuk and Michael Pittman and some of these, uh, you know, the better uh, wide receivers this uh, senior class has to offer. Um, so, and then, you know, in the second round, I thought there were, you know, there, there's some interesting names in there as well. Um, you know, I, I managed to get Clyde Edwards Hilaire in there, like I mentioned. Um, Ross Blacklock from TCU is in there. Cole Komet. Um, a lot of interesting names. So hopefully people go uh, check out the mock. It's uh it's up right now, and I um I haven't looked at any comments yet, so I'm gonna spend. <laughs> I blocked out like five hours tonight to uh, go through go through the comments and try to respond to as man. many as I can, and hopefully have some good conversation. You're a better man than I am. I might I probably just <laughs> bail on the comments for. Uh, <laughs> well, I look. It, let me look here. It's the third. Uh, the third comment our... downs has Burrow says uh, I'm putting Burrow at the top of the second round. He and his team remind me of Danny <laughs> Warfel in the '96 Gators, and then gives him an oh, Andy gosh. Dalton comp. So that's a little teaser. I just uh, uh, I, I just I just uh, refreshed, and it's at 292 comments already. So <laughs> um, we'll have to see how that goes. I, five hours might not be enough. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, round two. Obviously, there's always talent around two, but a, a lot of names that we've talked about, and some of my guys that I already feel like are going to be my favorites in this class. We've talked about Neville Gallimore a bunch. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. him at, uh, what, 34. Um, ETN's in there. Cole Komet. Uh, really like Justin Matibuke, who you've got to Dallas at 51. KJ mm-hmm. Hamler. Uh, Damon Arnett. Yeah, there's a lot of talent to be had, obviously, on day two of this draft. So, um, and let me let me ask you real quick. You, you have the Lions uh, covered, obviously. What do you think about... DeAndre Swift uh, at 35 in the early second round. I don't know. I'm not sure what kind of reaction I'm going to get from Lions fans about that one. But what do you think? Yeah, we we chatted about this a little bit. And then I mentioned it when I was tweeting out your mock today. And uh, I'll say the reviews were mixed on the idea. But I I think that, you know, the argument that I made there uh, is that I, I think that, you know, going ever since Matt Patricia got hired, he's stressed that. He thinks to win games in you know de- December, January, you need to be able to control the clock and control the tempo and and run the football. And sort of looking at what Tennessee did in you know uh, they 
didn't have the talent that Baltimore had, but they won that game because Derrick Henry was great and they were able to just control things that way. And I think that's the way the Lions would like to win. And I don't know that I think to me the carry on Johnson, I think is a, is a good NFL running back, but I think I would like his future a lot more if he was one B and you had that one a guy to handle it. So that to me makes a lot of sense. And I think it's particularly could be a fit if they're trading back. And like you said, they're picking up an extra second or they're picking up a, you know, a couple extra picks on day two. Cause then you can go after a spot where maybe you have something not, not necessarily set in stone, but that you feel okay about. Maybe you can do, you know, grab one of those almost luxury picks, but I, I think that makes sense. I think it'd be, <laughs> I think people would be angry if they didn't take defense or an offensive tackle or something there. But, uh, for the value and for the type of team they want to be, I think it makes sense. And yeah, again, I like this running back class a lot. So um, I don't, you know, to get Edward Tolaire at sixty three feels like a pretty good value to me too. That's where you had him with the Seahawks. Um, and, yeah, uh, and that's, that was tough with the running backs is to figure out, you know, what the best fits. And so you know, that, the Lions at thirty four, um, ETN you mentioned going to the Taylor's Cardinals at forty. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor what forty seven to the yep. Falcons, which. You know, again, on on the surface, it doesn't seem like a, the biggest need for the Falcons. But at that point in the draft, what he could mean to that offense could be huge. And so, you know, I, I think that is it's a possibility. And, that, and that's the point of a mock draft in January is to look at different scenarios, look at what possibly could happen. You know, we there's still so much that's going to fluctuate and change between now and April that it's not necessarily trying to nail every pick. It's just trying to look at possible scenarios of what could happen and so that that was the goal with this mock yeah uh i don't know if the comments necessarily got that (laughs) yeah expecting you to go 64 for 64 here but uh (laughs) i wish you luck picking through those uh, (laughs) when you do it um yeah Anyway, so yeah, well, that's up. If you haven't got the subscription yet, obviously go to the uh, theathletic.com slash prospects to pros. You can get 40% off, and that gets you access to uh, Dane's mock and uh, Dane's draft guide in a little while when that drops. It does, yeah, pretty soon. Months. And hey, real quick, I wanted to mention this is senior, or Shrine Bowl week. Um, one guy that will not be playing that was supposed to be is Tyler Johnson, the wide receiver mm-hmm. from Minnesota. I've got a lot of questions about what's going on with him. Um, I'm told that it is nothing injury related. He just he chose to pull out. Uh, he chose not to participate and to focus on his training uh, for the combine. And so it's not uh, getting called up to the senior bowl, at least yet. That That's not the situation. Uh, it's not an injury related thing. It's just purely his choice. And so, uh, you know, one of the better players uh on the shrine bowl uh shrine game roster unfortunately no longer there and we'll uh thursday our second show this week uh which uh is for subscribers only we'll get into uh dane released his all rookie team but we'll also tee up we got the senior bowl coming up next week as dane just mentioned the shrine shrine game going on uh, all those other all-star games there's usually a handful of call-ups from the shrine game to the senior bowl so we'll keep an eye on uh, guys that are performing well in practice down there but uh we'll like i said we'll tee up the senior bowl we'll have a bunch of content from you down uh in mobile next week should be it's always a fun week always kind of a hectic uh crazy week feels like there's more and more people show up at those practices every single year um <laughs> so it's it's always interesting to sort of pick everyone's brain and, and watch those guys in person but uh 
man another college football season in the books uh yeah it's sad yeah it's always a long wait from the end of the football season to when it starts up again um yeah it feels like a long seven or eight months but uh Uh, we'll get you through it with a lot of draft talk though yeah for sure and uh like i said we'll be back thursday with our next episode and then we'll we'll have you covered from mobile next week at the senior bowl so Uh, For Dane Brugler and our producer, Ken Garrison, I'm Chris Burke. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.